The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. John. That's near the end of your Bible. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, there is a blue Bible in the front of your pew. You're welcome to turn to page 1026 there. And if you do not have a Bible and want to take that as a, uh, a copy of your own, please do. That's a gift from us to you. Or if you're scrolling, many of you have your phone, scroll to 3 John. There's a lot of ways to get there. Or just simply flip there if you're old school like most of us. So that's how you go. Is anyone using a scroll? How many of y'all are scrolling today to get to 3 John? Does anyone want to admit it? Wow, three hands go up. You are brave souls, so very good. Very, very good. We're in the small book of Third John today. You know, I think all of us share an invaluable possession as we enter our study today, and it goes with us wherever we go, but amazingly, it goes with us where we do not go or where we don't want to go. And it's one of the most prized possessions that many people, many businesses, will spend billions of dollars trying to protect and it's nothing other than your reputation. Your reputation is the estimation or the evaluation of your character, your integrity, and your standing as a person. Many of you may remember, and, and this is, I was in high school this time, Enron, that, that name. If I say the word Enron, many of you remember years gone by, uh, the rambunctious parties that happened in Dallas, Texas, at the home of this major corporation that is now, I believe, almost defunct or completely defunct. So your reputation, your church's, your family's reputation could be good, bad, or somewhere in between. But be assured of this. Everyone has a reputation of some kind. And people will watch and talk about you, even on Facebook, even on social media, and especially at a church. People will watch and, and hopefully talk well of you. But you cannot escape or lose your reputation. How many times have we seen a, a Hollywood star start out and they do something dumb? And then all of a sudden, they hire all these PR people, and they make the circuits. They used to go on Oprah, now Ellen, and I don't know who else is out there now. It's not Letterman, whoever they go on now. And they always forgot that no matter what you try and PR yourself away from, your reputation will go with you wherever you go. This is why I think Proverbs 22, Solomon said this. He said, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Tell that to our political candidates, and that's not a political statement as much as, friends, a good name is better than riches or anything in this life. The reputation, though, of Christianity had a reputation in the first century. You know what it was? Acts 28, 22, it says this is spoken against everywhere. Friends, our church has a reputation. Our faith has a reputation. What is your reputation? But Jesus was despised so that our reputation is secure. If you're a child of God today, your reputation is found in him. But with that in mind, let me ask you three questions this morning. What do you think of yourself this morning? What do you believe others think about you this morning? And most of all, what does God think about you this morning? The big idea this week is one I had to think about. I was at the Missouri Baptist Convention this last week in a hotel room, and Judy and I are putting this in the bulletin now, and I had to get it to her, and I was just saying, what do you say? And I haven't really searched on this one, but this is the big idea. I think we're going to find out of chapter th or John, 3 John as we go through it. It's simply this. Jesus' reputation was being a friend of sinners 
not for being continually outraged at the Pharisees. Is that my reputation? Is that your reputation? And even farther, is that our church's reputation? Because, friends, when we are saved in Christ, there is no greater freedom to know that we don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We don't have to try and be the best of the best of what we do. We are secure in Christ, and that is a freeing thing. But beware. Revelation 3, 1 says that the church there looked alive. It even had, the church in Revelation 3 had a, a reputation for being alive, but it wasn't. Beware of false worldly measures of success. For friends, if we are known with Christ, then that is known enough. In Acts chapter 4, I didn't put this in my notes, but when uh, the disciples were before the, the council, they asked them, who are these men? And they simply said this, they had been with Jesus, and that was their reputation. And so as we study this book of 3 John, continuing in the next several weeks, what does a gospel-centered church look like and gospel-centered members? We're going to look at four people. We're going to look at only one today. His name is Gaius. But the question is, can I have a greater joy than knowing God himself? Is there anything in this life that I can point at and say, man, that would be great. Man, the Royals winning the World Series would be amazing. If I could wear this, if the Royals won the World Series every year, wouldn't that be amazing? Some of you aren't sure. You need to check yourself. Amen? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Friends, even if the Royals won the World Series every year, in a serious note, that pales in comparison to what Christ has done. Amen? And that's the truth. So as we look at this, we're going to look at four characters, four real people from this book. As we look through 3 John, today just one man, Gaius, and we're going to learn four things about him and how we can have the greatest joy of keeping our reputation by knowing God. We've learned in verses 1 through 8 that Gaius lives spiritually. He was a credible Christian because he lived spiritually. Secondly, he walked truthfully, verses 3 and 4. He served faithfully, and finally, he ministered generously. Now, 2 John, as we saw the last two weeks, was uh, we looked at truth and love and be wary of false teachers. And 3 John has some of that. But the question comes up is, what is 3 John all about, really? It's only 219 words. It's the shortest book of the Bible. That's an amazing truth. But this book was written to a man named Gaius. And some believe this could have been the last book written in the New Testament. According to one of the early church historians, Eusebius, this could have been the last book John written. We don't know. John wrote. It most likely was Revelation. But one thing we find here, it's a little bit different than 2 John in this way. 2 John, if you may remember, mentioned no one by name. 3 John has a specific recipient in Gaius. Second John, the problem was showing hospitality to the wrong people, letting the wrong false teachers in the door. In third John, hospitality is not showing great hospitality to the right visitors, the missionaries. Second John was concerned about truth. Third John is concerned about love. But it's so easy to follow down through this. And as we study this book the next two weeks, I want you to take note of these men. Which person are you? Which reputation do you have? Are you a Gaius? Are you a Diotrephes? Are you a Demetrius? Are you John? And we'll look at those the next couple weeks. But with that in mind, let's stand, if you will, in honor of God's word. We're actually going to read all 13 verses this morning. It's so short. I just want you to get a feel of the text. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. But this man, Gaius, has a lot to tell us about reputation, why it's important to keep it, and how we do it for God's glory. Listen as you hear the word of the Lord this morning. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came 
and testify to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, verse 5, it is a faithful thing you do in all the efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church, and you would do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. Verse 9, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, or Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will walk, or we will talk rather face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. May God bless the reading of his word, the hearing and doing of it as well. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we know from Proverbs, as we've already read, that a good name is to be held above even silver and riches of this world. Father, I pray that we are just not simply people pleasers here as Christians, that we just do things to make people think well of us. But Father, we would do all things that people may think well of you. Yet, Lord, we are not under any cloud of, uh, of, of misgiving, Lord, to know that this world is anti-Christian, it's anti-gospel, Father, because naturally we are at enmity with you. Yet, Lord, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to those around us, Lord, that our walk would match our talk and vice versa. Lord, that our church would continue to plow down that road of gospel-centeredness to your glory and for your name. Father, not to just protect our good name of a church, but for, to protect the name of Christ. For, Father, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved except that of Jesus Christ. Through the narrow gate, through your Son, thank you for that, Lord. May we do this this morning as we study to your glory. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people of this church. They warm my wife and I's heart. I know they warm so many people's hearts. Father, may our worship, may our study be warming to you. May it bring praise to your name this morning. We ask this for the glory, honor, and advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Third John, many of you got your Bible reading in for today. You can go home and put on Facebook, I've read a whole book of the Bible, just like that. Just want you to know that. You know, but four times here, we're going to look at uh, how do you live this reputable Christian life? How do you have more joy in God as a result? First off, we have to live spiritually. Look back at verses 1 and 2 with me. The older to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as well as it goes with your soul. This is a fourth time, or four times, John will address Gaius this way. Gaius is, of course, the recipient of the letter. Uh, your Bible may say beloved. It could say dear friend. You kind of get what's going on here, right? It's a, it's a deep, heartfelt relationship between John the Apostle and Gaius the Christian. John loved this man, and he was not afraid to tell him so. He loved him so much because he knew that Christ was the center of his life. And Gaius was a common name. It's kind of like John would be today or, or, or something like that. There's at least three other Gaiuses in Scripture. There's one mentioned in Romans, two in Acts. 
But the Gaius here is probably none of those. In fact, it, 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 we know it's not. But all we know from about this Gaius, the fourth one in Scripture, is what we see in this letter. And boy, it's a lot of good stuff that God tells us through John about him. John's love here, though, I want you to know was very genuine. These aren't just fluffy words he throws on the page. As we study through every book the last several months I've been here, we've noted that the introduction is often the greatest way you understand what is being written about the letter. There's nothing false here. That's why the I here is emphatic. Literally, whom I myself love in the truth. John loves this man because he stands on the truth. Friends, that's the first application point, though. You can be as straight as a gun barrel theologically, but just as empty as one spiritually. That's why John is praying. Notice not he did pray. Notice not I might pray. It's in the active sense. John is praying for Gaius to prosper. That's also in the active sense in all things. Notice in there, this all things is something that is included for everything of his life. Prosper means to have a good journey. It's literally where we get the word hygiene. John here is praying in a sense for his spiritual hygiene. Can I ask you, how's your spiritual hygiene? This morning, if you want to put it that way. You know, Gaius had a, cl- a clean bill of health spiritually, but we perhaps know he may have been suffering physically. We don't know what it was. Could have been persecution, could have been a physical ailment, but his soul was in ship shape. It was in top condition. He was living spiritually for Christ. So the application, the, the question I have for you is, is, what if I were to pray for you and ask God to bless you physically to the same degree you are healthy spiritually, and he answered my prayer. What would happen? Would you be fit, ready to run a marathon? Would you be in bed getting a few extra hours of sleep? Would you be nearly dead? Would we need to rush you to the emergency room or the hospital and have you ushered into the ICU spiritually? Friends, we must live spiritually. Gaius, Gaius was soul healthy. The same is an expectation for God for us. Would you pray? The greatest prayer you can pray. You know, we have these, these things out back in the information rack, our, our, uh, our prayer guides. And one thing we say at the front is we don't say pray that people would be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Though we pray for health. Though we pray for resources. It says we pray for the conviction and development of Christian character in the lives of people as they face illness, trial, relational issues, and the course of life. If you only pray for their illness or problem, you have not prayed for their greatest need. Friends, this morning, maybe in your prayer life, my prayer life, as you pray for people, definitely pray for their physical needs. By golly, we got most of our things on here are physical needs. But would you pray also that they would live spiritually well in Christ? But notice here, this uh, this letter was written to people who have been sent. And friends, in this church, there are people who are either going for Christ as missionaries or staying back. And to go as a missionary or to send as a missionary, whether you are going somewhere officially, formally, as a Baptist missionary or whatever missionary, either way, I think we live in a spiritual realm if we forget that it's going to cost us dearly to live for Christ, isn't it? Look to the harvest. Either you are going or you are sending. John and his church were senders. Senders send the goers and pray for their spiritual good. And as Christians, we are under obligation to love those we've never met. Isn't it going to be awesome someday in heaven to see every tribe, every nation, every tongue represented under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Does that just not excite you? You know, I heard uh, at the Missouri Baptist Convention there's a story told by Nick Ripkin. That's not his real name. It's a pseudo name for security. 
But he shared one time when he was in uh, Somalia that when they shared that there were Christians praying for them, that they just busted out in the church and started dancing around and hooping and hollering. He thought, oh, man, we're going to have a problem here. They're all dancing in the aisles. This is a Baptist church. What's going to happen? And you know why they were excited? They were excited because people had sent this man, pseudonym Nick Ripkin, over there to share the gospel. And John's church, as he writes to Gaius, is doing the same thing. John has sent on missionaries, and he knows that Gaius could have rejected them, but he trusts Gaius because he has lived spiritually well. Friend, do you invest yourself in others? Do you care for others? Do you find joy in others by sharing the truth of God's word with them? That's what we're all about. We want to be about the gospel here, but we want to be a relationship-driven church as well. Now, I have to say this, and please know, and when I say names like this, I'm not trying to poke it. I, I just want you to know the truth of this. Verse 2 has often been claimed by pastors, preachers like Kenneth Copeland, who's very popular, the five-finger blessing guy, who claim that Christians, at all times, if they're living spiritually well, will never have physical ailments. If they're living spiritually well, they'll never face hard times. Friends, that is not at all what verse 2 is teaching. He is praying for them to be spiritually well. Notice he doesn't say, I pray that God heals you of your disease, though I'm sure Paul pray, or John prayed for that. But we have to know that the whole scripture is God is most glorified often when hard times come. But aren't you grateful that while we are weak, he is strong? And while we are in our greatest need, he is strong in our stead. Would you pray as we send people from our church? I think, uh, Deb, I always look at you on this because you and Luke go way back. I think of Luke Weir, who's over in Germany right now. Think of our IMB missionaries. Think of many of you who served internationally or uh, at other parts. Uh, Doug and Cindy Hager, you'll be going to South Carolina with disaster relief soon. Friends, we can pray. Pray physical needs are met, but pray they are spiritually well. That's the first point. He says, you want to have a good reputation? You want to have an unsoiled reputation? Then live spiritually well. Pray for that. But also, secondly, notice here in verses 3 and 4, not only live spiritually, but walk truthfully. Walk truthfully. Look back at your Bibles with me. John says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, living spiritually is intimately connected with walking truthfully. You can't live spiritually well unless the truth is what you're walking in. And friends, that's the first application. What you'll see on the screen is simply this. Faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is despite what you feel. Let that sink in for just a second. We live in a, an age where you can pop on your smartphone and say whatever you want to say in cyberspace, and no one can say, well, they can say stuff about it, but the, you, the person will say, well, that's my space. That's my Facebook. That's my fill-in-the-blank. Friends, don't let your emotions drive your spiritual faith. Let your faith founded in truth, drive your emotions. John could rejoice greatly in verse 3 and have no greater joy because of what others were telling him about Gaius. The truth was in him, he, he, what he believed, but he also walked in that truth. And in doctrine, indeed, Gaius was commendable. He was praiseworthy. It was a joy. To be a pastor of Gaius was a joy for that pastor. And there was no contradiction between what he said, what he talked, and what he walked. His talk matched his walk. And you notice there, John says, my children. 
that phrase there in verse um, into verse 4, that may indicate that John had led Gaius to Christ. John was the oldest living apostle. We know that. And John was fathering spiritual children by sharing the gospel. And Gaius was probably one he took great delight in. Friends, people cannot see your heart, but the Lord can. But people see your life. Are you walking truthfully before the Lord? And I don't just mean, uh, if I can just use it, I don't just mean voting a certain political party. I don't just mean being a moral person. I don't just mean, you know, having, all, having the perfect family picture on the Christmas card that goes out. Are you walking in truth of the Lord today? And yes, that will influence some of those things I mentioned, but are you walking in truth today? Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, you'll probably hear him quoted here many times. If you haven't been to the Spurgeon Library, here's your plug for Midwestern. Uh, go to the Spurgeon Library, and they give you a great tour. But he had this to say. The great Spurgeon knew the importance of every child of God to walk in the truth. And I want to just share a little lengthy quote, but I think it will be applicable. He said, you may, dear friends, see this text in 3 John as specifying the pastor's greatest reward. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in truth. But the minister whose sin of God has spiritual children, they are as much his children as they had been literally born in his house. For to their immortal nature, he stands under God in the relationship of his sire. What Spurgeon is simply saying is someday we have to give an account as pastors, Matt, Blake, myself, someday before the Lord. And what a, what a terrible day in the sense that will be because we are failing men and, and we need God's help at every time. But what Spurgeon goes on to say is this. He says, to this end we are sent to you. Not to help you spend your Sundays respectively, nor to quiet your consciences by conducting personal preferences of worship on your behalf. If in the hands of God we are not maimed by the means of our new birth, our sermons are worthless, our instructions have been made a mere waste of effort, and your hearing has been made a mere waste of time to you, if not something worse. Friends, our hearts as pastors is to see you grow spiritually. Nothing warms our heart more than to know that you are walking in the truth. That's why we're so intentional. Thank you, Blake, for doing this. To sing words that just aren't words but are truthful words. Matt, that's why I'm so grateful that when you have 40 youth on a Tuesday night that the words of truth are taught. We know they are taught. Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, children's workers. That's why we're so intentional about doing those things. So he says to walk in the truth. And friends, walking in the truth also comes at great financial sacrifice. Next application point is this. All the money needed to send and support the army as self-sacrificing, joy-spreading ambassadors is already in this church. You know, oftentimes we say, boy, if we just had this, we just had that. Friends, we have enough means in this church, not just financially, but spiritually, to infiltrate Gracemore, Randolph, Maple Park for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, I think when I, I was trying to think of the name of the man, I think it was Piper who said that the temperature check of your spiritual health might just be your financial checkbook. It's a tough sell, isn't it? Especially as the holiday season comes. But what we know from this truth is that he rejoiced, John did with Gaius, because he saw the truth in him, and there's nothing greater than that. So Gaius was told, this is in you. I see it. I rejoice over this. But what do we as a church give our money to support? What do we as a church give our money to support? Do we support just anyone? Do we just give our money out on the streets? No. 
We are grateful as Southern Baptists especially to have this thing up here. Um, go ahead and put those two up, Amy, if you will. We are grateful at this point to have a thing called the Cooperative Program. We as Baptists across 44,000 churches, many of you know this, 44,000 churches cooperate together by giving a certain amount of money and sending it to the national level so we can go out to the nations. I am grateful of this church that we are praying about how we might spend our money wisely and do it to the gospel-centered way. Amen? Friends, pray for our budget team. Our budget team right now is formulating the 2016 budget. But the resurrection shows us that there's more to life than just paying a bill. Our money is significant because it goes with truth. When you give your offering, it doesn't just go to waste. It goes to meet people where they're at in the need to see Christ proclaimed. Would you pray for our church that we, as we strategize? I know, uh, uh, you know, Benevolence has some ministry. Uh, Becky, I don't know if she's here today. The share team is talking about how can we use our resources better, more wisely, and more gospel-centered way to reach people. Would you pray for our church in that? A lot of times, I don't know about you, I, when I was a young man, I used to come to church and think, boy, those budget meetings are boring. And you know what? Those are some lively meetings, and that's a good thing because we are here because we want to see that Christ is proclaimed. Amen? And that is the reason that we do all that we do for the glory of God. So he says, John does, Gaius, I see that you're living spiritually. I see that you're walking truthfully. And thirdly, verses 5 and 6, I see that you are serving faithfully. His reputation is intact. Look back at verses 5 and 6 with me, if you will. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You see that love's genuine, don't you? He said, beloved, uh, that's the third time. And he says, it's a faithful thing that you do. What is he doing? What is Gaius doing here? Gaius is showing hospitality and entertaining, showing these traveling evangelists, people who proclaim the name of Christ, hospitality. That was the culture back then, but these were people he had never met, but they were Christians. I've mentioned a couple times the last few weeks, but isn't it refreshing to know that you can walk in here whatever week you have, and you can know that your brothers and sisters have gone through similar stuff, worse stuff, but you can find an encouraging face here at Tower View. Friends, and here's the crazy thing. Guys didn't know these people, but he knew one thing about them. They were about the name of Jesus Christ, and he welcomed them because of that. We were designed to know, serve, and love God supremely. And when we are faithful to that design, friends, we will flourish. You know, some of you have had some very rough times at work before where you have been asked to do things that are against the rules. I can remember, and I won't name the company because this is public, but I was asked at a company one time to alter a document that showed we had more students than we had in our system. Well, Darren, if you do that, you might just get a raise. Darren, if you do that, you might just get a promotion. Darren, I'm grateful that I had another sister Christian there who was my boss at the time, and we both shook our heads and said, no, we will not do that. Because we knew that our greatest goal in this life was to love, serve, and, and exalt God supremely, and we had to be faithful even in the small things. Friends, John knew that Gaius' service was something special because he didn't know these people. He may have known something about them, but the one thing he did know about them is that they were Christians. 
This is why, as a staff, we are working slowly, uh, talking to the association, to next year have a prayer calendar for all the 45 churches in our association. So each week when we get up here, we can pray for XYZ Church that they may come to a greater knowledge of Christ. And what John reported is that Gaius loved these people. And he loved these Christians before the church. And you know what his response was? Guys, just keep on keeping on. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Serve faithfully. Don't let anyone else tell you not to take these brothers in. Show them hospitality. They're traveling with the name of Christ. Show them the love that you have been given in Christ. You want to know the greatest ways to protect your reputation as a person? From a very secular standpoint, be faithful. You know, Ben Zobris is one of our Royals baseball players. His wife is due any day. I think literally due any day. We have one due in three months. Blake's family just had. We have babies coming everywhere. But, you know, I read something about him. If you don't know this, Ben Zobris, the Royal second baseman, is a strong Christian believer. And he hired, I know he has lots of money, so we kind of smile at this, but he was faithful to his wife in the small things. He rented a private jet last night to fly his wife from Kansas City to New York so that she could watch. And he, he just happened to bring her OB along just for good effect. But he said something in that article last night that caught my attention early this morning. He said, you know, I just want to be faithful. Friends, do you desire greatness in this life? That's not the goal. The goal is to serve the Lord faithfully. Maybe people hear about you. Maybe you get your 15 minutes in the conference speaker circuit, or maybe you don't. I am convinced that the people like Gaius and others are going to be those in heaven that get the loudest applause. It's not going to be those who have the big-name Twitter followers, the big-name, maybe the big-name. I'm just simply saying, be faithful, because that's what he says. Piper said it this way. He said, the joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. Sensitive to the hospitality expectations of the Mediterranean and Near Eastern world, John received these as those who were honored before the Lord. Friends, what an amazing thing. His faithful service stands in striking contrast to uh, Diostrophes, who we'll see next week. You know, are you plugged in to helping people in this church? You know one of the greatest ways to get to know people is to have them over to your house. My wife and I, we've warned several of you who've had dinner at our house that it's a war zone at times. There's Thomas the Train around. There's, there's doggy. There's like monkeys everywhere. There's screams. There's, there's all sorts of things. My wife is smiling, I think, at this point because we know this is our life right now. But I want you to know that as pastor, a pastor's wife, we are committed to having you over. We want to get to know you. We are not in some ivory tower up over here. I don't, Matt's not. Matt might be because he's, he's super cool in the youth pastor terms. And Blake. Blake would love, you were talking about hospitality people. Friends, if you want to get to know someone, invite them over. Maybe there's someone in this church you've looked at and said, you know, I'd like to get to know them better. Would you have them over for dinner? Get to know them. It's a small way to show hospitality. But here, John measures the success of Gaius' ministry not by how many people he hosted, not by how many times his name was mentioned. He measured his reputation and his success unto the Lord by what? By faithfulness. By faithfulness. Friends, this does not mean as a church that we are just going to simply say, well, we had an event, that's it. We will ask hard questions of this church about every ministry, about everything, even sermons. I ask some of you, give me honest feedback. But I pray that the underlying current behind that is the thought that faithfulness is success in God's eyes, not the biggest numbers that are out there. 
I hope you believe that because that was the measure of success that Paul, Paul, whoo, John said was for Gaius. Are you faithful in the things that God has given you before you pray about the big things he may give you? Let's end with this. And you know when a pastor says end with this, there's 15 more minutes of preaching, right? I just want you to know that. Last point, you're to live spiritually, you're to walk truthfully, you're to serve faithfully as the greatest joy to protect that reputation of the gospel, but finally, you're to minister generously. Look at verses 7 and 8. For they, those are the, the, the missionaries that have gone out, for they, the missionaries, have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. These verses provide the reasons that Gaius and John were sending and accepting these people. First, at least three reasons we see here. They were sent out for the name's sake. This is the only time in the little book of 3 John that the Lord is referenced. The name, the name, the name. Friends, there is no more offensive thing in this world than the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. But there's no greater name in this world, amen, than the name of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to wear the name wherever you go? Please don't believe that the sacred and the secular are separate. Don't think that because you come on Sunday mornings and you lift up the name of Jesus, but you deny him by your lifestyle for six other days, that that is cool, that is kosher, that's in cahoots with God. Friends, they were sent out for the name. Everywhere they went, they carried the name with them. Friends, you carry the name of Christ with you in your home, in your work, in your business, at Quick Trip. You carry the name of Christ whether you support the royals or you love the Mets. You carry the name of Christ above every other name in this world. And that's why he said support people like these. But notice they also took nothing from the Gentiles. They took nothing from the pagans, nothing from the unbelievers. These traveling missionary evangelists were all at the mercy of the churches that were, they were going to. Isn't that an amazing thing? They did not attempt to finance God's work with the world's money. They depended, and rightfully so, on the generosity and the gifts of the church. And in doing so, they avoided the scandals of the day because a lot of times the preachers would come through and they would say, oh, I'm a great speaker, give me money. Oh, I'm a great orator, give me money. Give me money, give me money. But these guys said no, they took nothing. They just trusted that God was able. And he says also that, they, that, that we ought to receive them, show hospitality. Friends, many of you, God has called right here to the states, right here to serve right where you are. You are called right here. And you know, some give support, some are sent. But are you giving support? Are you praying for those who are sent? Both are essential in God's economy. First application point then is this. Humility is glad that God gets all the credit for choosing us so that we can only boast in him. There is no limit to what this church can do in this neighborhood if we are not worried about such and such getting this or such and such getting that. But know this, we will thank people. We will thank people for their service, small and big. You'll often hear from the pulpit, thank you. Thank you for serving this way. Thank you for investing yourself. But friends, be a commendable Christian. Know that anything we have in this church is all of God. It's not because you're pastor, trust me. It's not because of Blake's muscle. It's not because of Matt's coolness. It is all the blessing of the Lord, whatever we have. Amen? And that is the truth of God's word. How is the loving faithfulness in your life shown in the way that you accept credit? Do you trust that God is going to use whatever you use because he's God? Or are you going to trust that your name has to be in shining lights before God can use you? Friends, if you think 
Your name must be in shining lights. If our name must be in shining lights, then we have missed the point of the gospel. So he says there are goers. The goers go. We see in verse 7 that some are sent out from John's church. These teachers went out to defend the truth of the word. They were out there to, to, to share the name of Christ. And we believe that it is not by anything else than a Holy Spirit working in someone's life that these missionaries were successful. Friends, it is not by strategy, though God can use that strategy. It is not by human power. These people were successful in their ministries. They ministered generously because the Spirit of God emboldened them to speak the Word of God. Many of you have stories, don't you, where you didn't know what words to say when God put someone in your path, but He gave you the right words at the right time, just as He promised. And we believe that it is not possible to legislate true conversion and that governments that do not permit religious liberty engage in tyranny against the well-being of their countries. Friends, we go as ambassadors of truth, but we go also as ambassadors to show that only freedom in any sphere of life is through Christ. That's why the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is the greatest missionary work ever done. You know, I love. I, I, I will just say this publicly. I'm not a fan of the message Bible, but I will or, or, or paraphrase. But I will say this: John one. It talks about in other versions that he tabernacled among us. It says that God came down and he moved into the neighborhood. Aren't you grateful God moved into the neighborhood? <laughs> Friends, why is there all this going? Why? Because they had the name. They were wanted to minister generously. Paul said in Romans 1.5, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. For what reason? For their name? No, for his name's sake. Friends, our love for Christ compels us to live for him and share him, and that's why they went to minister generously. If you're not a Christian here today, I've been talking to Christians the main time. Let me just say this. One may search, you may search your whole life in heaven and earth until they pass away, but you will not find a remedy for your sin except in one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story about a man who did this. Many of you know this guy's name, Mr. Judson. He was a missionary to Burma in the 19th century, and he had developed a passion for preaching the gospel through a very powerful experience. I want to share that with you. He was a student, Judson was, at, at Rhode Island College, now Brown University, and he met his heavily influencing friend by the name of Jacob Eames. Has anyone ever heard this story before? Some of y'all know this. The individual that he met, Jacob Eames, was a deist, and he influenced Judson to leave the Christian faith and to renounce it and just say, get out of here, Christian faith, basically what he told him. But while Judson was living life up, he was living an, uh, a terrible life, like the, uh, the, rich, uh, or, or the prodigal son, and he stayed in an inn on his journey, just a filth of life, and he stayed into an inn where he could hear the man next to him was supremely sick. So he went up to the innkeeper and said, what is wrong with that man? He said, he's dying. And that night, he contemplated death, Judson did in the afterlife, but was stopped by the thoughts of his friend, Mr. Jacob Eames, who had told him to leave the Christian faith. And the next morning, to his horror, he went up, he, he, the coughing had ceased, and he went to the innkeeper, and he learned that the young man in the next room was actually his friend, Jacob Eames himself, who had died overnight of natural causes. And after that, Judson, the words lost and dead, would not leave him as he continued on his journey. And that moment, 
Judson repented of his sin and trusted Christ alone, by faith alone, and his grace alone, for God's glory alone, as revealed in his word alone, for salvation. Friends, I don't know if you're not a Christian here today. If you have questions about that, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have, church what? Everlasting life. Friends, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, by repenting and believing that he is the Savior. But what if you're here today and you say, Darren, I have felt a call to missions before. Maybe I want to be like those churches that sent out John and, uh, and, and Gaius and, and those that were receiving them. Maybe I want to be a missionary. What are some practical things to do? And I'm looking at some friends, like the Moody's and the Hinkles and others who served or have served with family overseas. You probably have more to add to this. But there's at least six things I jotted down here. What if you want to go? What if you want to be a long-term missionary? Here's six things to think about. First off is this. Are you thinking of going? You need to be worked to be fruitful here. I don't know if some of you have heard this before. A lot of people say, I love just those, I love Macedonian people. And they want to hang around Macedonian people because that's where they feel God's called them. But they won't go and share Christ with their neighbor, the person at the store, or the person right across the pew from them. Friends, if you're wanting to go overseas, work to be fruitful here first. Secondly, consider taking a short-term mission trip. This, you know, there's a lot of debate, and, and there's a lot of good points to both sides. Is it a waste of money to send people on a short trip? You know, look, if you're advancing God's kingdom, and it's used wisely, then, then praise the Lord for that. Next summer, we're hoping to have a short-term mission trip. We've batted it around, maybe. Uh, if you have not gone on a mission trip, this might be a way to serve. This isn't just handing out water. This is handing out water in the name of Christ, or whatever it is. You know, if you were considering going, can you meet with a pastor? Talk to Matt, talk to Blake, talk to one of us. Talk to us about what it means to go. Talk to missionaries who are among us even today. Study carefully the needs around the world. You know, I have talked to several people, and I think some in this room, who said, you know, we were praying that God would send us here, but God all of a sudden put us over here. Even if you're not going as a missionary, have you considered where God might be calling you to serve in this church to reach out? So, Darren, I'm thinking about going what else? Research sending organizations. Friends, we are Southern Baptists. Our money goes to support the International Mission Board, but there are equally like-minded things out there that you could go with. Pray, pray, pray. That is the biggest thing to do. But live lastly among people who haven't heard the good news. Be missional. Be on mission every day. Listen, you are a missionary if you don't know it or not. You are a missionary grandparents to your grandkids. Aunts, uncles, you are a missionary to your nieces and nephews. Bosses, you are a missionary to your Uh, staff or whatever you may have parents you are a missionary the greatest mission field if you're a parent is right there under your home right there under your home Richard Baxter the great Puritan said that uh, each family is like a little church and that's so true friends if you're thinking about going be missional be on target right here be on target right here let me close with a story told you there's going to be 15 minutes more amen (laughs) I'm just kidding close with this John Harper was one of the great evangelists uh, coming out of Scotland, and he was called in the early 1900s by uh, D.L. Moody's church in Chicago to serve there temporarily. 90, uh, well, it's over 90, it's been over 100 years. Titanic, right? It's been over 100 years. He boarded a ship, this man did, Harper, with his daughter, Nana. And around midnight, as you know the story, many of them woke up to hear the boat doing all sorts of things a boat shouldn't do in the North Atlantic. And uh, they had hit an iceberg, and they were trying to get on life rafts. And the ship, of course, was the Titanic. And at a prayer meeting in Ontario, as that Titanic had gone down several months later, a young Scotsman told of John Harper, 
asking him while they clung to driftwood in the ocean, this young man was asked by John Harper, this missionary, man, are you saved? And when he answered that he was not, Harper urged him to put his faith in Christ, saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that man, as he was, Harper, the missionary, was going down literally to the icy depths of the Atlantic, was Harper's last convert before he left this world. Friends, is your life marked? Are you more worried about your reputation in this life as what it would mean if you stood up for the name of Christ than what it would mean if you didn't? Am I? Is our church? Do we want to be in cahoots with all the big wigs to make it all right? Friends, there are times where we need to link arms with, with people of like-minded organizations. But if the name of Jesus separates us, the biblical name of Jesus separates us, may we stand faithfully on that name. Amen? Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach without someone sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Friend, are you living spiritually today? Are you walking truthfully? Are you serving faithfully? Are you ministering generously? Is that the reputation you want? Or do you want the 15 minutes of fame that come with this world? Or if you're a social media buff, the, the followers and the likes and the fill-in-the-blank things that come with that, what is your goal? Are you a friend of sinners? Is our church, am I? Or are we just simply doing this church thing just to do this church thing? Some questions that really struck me hard from 3 John this week. I pray they do for you. Let's go for the Lord in prayer. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the faithful testimony of, uh, of missionary Judson, of missionary Harper. Father, of those who've given so much. And Lord, I know there's so much so many people in this church who are so faithful. Father, give grant more faithfulness. So many people who are living truthfully, grant more truth to live wisely. Father, so many people who are living spiritually, grant truth to live spiritually. Father, I pray as a gospel-centered church that we, these would be markers of lives. Father, I thank you that this text is not just a pastor preaching. It's, it's one that you've turned in my own life. Father, help that to be true both from preacher, from pulpit, to pastor, to everyone in this congregation. May this be true of our church. Father, I pray for those people, though, today who are struggling spiritually, who know Christ legitimately, who are saved, who are born by your Spirit, but, Lord, need encouragement. May we, as Jude said, have mercy on those who are doubting. Father, may we know the truth of your Scripture proclaimed, but, Lord, we pray for anyone here who's wrestling with those thoughts. Is this true? Did I, did I sign up for the, something bad? Lord, I, I just pray that you would reassure them by your Spirit. Father, also praying for those without Christ, that your Spirit equally would show them the need for Christ. And only Christ is Savior. Father, thank you that while we were sinners, at just the right time, Christ died for us. Father, there is an urgency there because Christ is coming soon. So may we be about that business, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for this time. Lord, may you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, before Blake leads, we always have a time of uh, response. This is not a time. We don't have a magic bullet up here, a, a flu shot of Jesus, so to speak, that will save you. Only Jesus saves you. But friends, what we do here today is if you have a question, if you want to sit, come up here, pray. The altar is open to you. This is a time where you can respond. Please come. This is an open time. If you want to set an appointment to talk about church membership or what it means to be a Christian, please do so. We are here for that. We love you all so much. It is a privilege to serve here. I, I speak for Matt and our birthday boy, Matt, and uh, speak for Blake as well. It is a privilege to be here. Let us know how we can pray and serve you. Blake, why don't you lead us out?
express the depth and breadth of your great love. Would your love permeate our lives today and this week as we are ambassadors for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. 